Athletic Brewing. I cracked open an Upside Dawn Golden Athletic Brew. And let me say this. No matter what you're looking for in a great non-alcoholic beer, the answer is always athletic. Great flavor? It's athletic. Award-winning styles? It's athletic. Huge variety? It's athletic. Fit for all times. That's a registered trademark, guys. Enjoy them anytime, anywhere, without ever slowing down your summer. Beach days, music festivals, swim meets, camping, late nights, early mornings, literally wherever summer takes you. And here's the best part to me, zero hangovers the next day. Mm -hmm. This summer, ask for the only non-alcoholic beer or brew you need to know. Athletic. Head to askforathletic.com to find it near you and use code TA2024 to get 15% off your first online order. That's code TA2024 at checkout for 15% off your first order. Near beer. Exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company. Fit for all times. Ultimately, I'm going to keep saying it, get 1% better every day. Just get a little bit better every day. Hey, how's everybody doing? I'm Stephen Holder. I'm here with Zach Kiefer. If you guys listen to our podcast, 1% Better, think of this as like the live version of that. <laughs> so uh, there's no rules. We've never done this. You've never done this. Uh, so I guess we get to make it our own, right, Zach? And um, if we screw it up. Um, it won't matter because we make the rules. So <laughs> no promises. <laughs> right, right. So um, I'm I'm not a complete technological idiot, so I think we'll be okay. Um, and, and Zach actually knows how to work a phone, so I think we're fine. Um, you got any thoughts, Zach, on just kind of what's been going on lately? Just before we get going and listen to people's thoughts, uh, the Colts have been quiet. Clearly, people have thoughts about that. But um, what are your takeaways, just generally? Yeah, I know the draft is three weeks away. I'm, I'm sure there's some angst. I don't know if that's the right word. Maybe some anger at, at how this offseason went. They made big moves at the, at the two most important positions, in my opinion, at quarterback and, and pass rush. But I still got some questions. I still got some concerns about some depth in some really important areas. And we'll hear from Chris Ballard next Friday, a little bit ahead of the draft. But they've been quiet, and I'm sure a lot of fans out there have some questions about why. Right, right. All right, so um, I'm going to open this up and let some uh, let some of you guys um, into the conversation. Uh, Zach, did you go ahead and – did you let Derek in? Is that you? That? Yeah, I don't know if I'm supposed to do that or if I just yeah, let Derek go ahead. have the first dibs at it. Hello? You guys got me? Go, yeah, go for it, Derek. What you got? Okay, cool. I just respected, requested to speak, so I might have just let me in automatically. Oh, that makes sense. Okay, we're yeah, still getting used to sure. this. Yeah, no, no worries. Yeah, well, thanks for taking me on. I love both your guys' work. Um, my uh, my question's about uh, the Colts bringing in Malik Willis. Um, I kind of was surprised to see that, but I was kind of wondering what your guys' thoughts were on, you know, I know NFL teams are super thorough, um, and, you know, like Trevor Lawrence had 32 teams represented at his pro day. So what should we make of the Colts bringing Malik Willis in when it doesn't really feel up until that point that they were looking at taking a quarterback this year. I can say this, Derek, they, they do this every year. Uh, they're not going to have a chance to take Malik Willis. I, I don't think at least, and he falls, you know, 
which would be a stunning turn of events. He'll go in the first round at some point um, if he's not the first quarterback to go. They do this every year. They're, they're talking to Sam Howell next week. I saw um, – I think the way Ballard has described it is you never know when you might need a quarterback, and the Colts know that as well as any team the last couple of years. Um, yeah. You know, they, they look into all these guys, and it's not any different when they need a quarterback versus when they, quote, unquote, don't. Um, but I don't think they're going to have a chance at him. I don't know if you agree, Stephen. Um, my, my, my only thought is I, I do – my mind flashes back to 2017. If you recall, they drafted Malik Hooker. And I remember after that pick being kind of surprised, like, huh, safety, that's not what I had in mind. But whatever. I didn't have a problem with the pick. But I remember Chris Ballard saying, you know, we never thought he was going to be there. We thought he was going to be a top eight pick. And he said, you know, I told the guys the other week, I said, hey, how about we just bring him in just in case? You never know what could happen. They brought him in for a top 30 visit or a workout at the last minute, and they were, like, so glad they did because they were presented with the opportunity to pick him, I think, at, what, number 15, if I'm not mistaken. So, right. you know, this is different I don't because they don't have that first rounder. But I guess it's just playing out scenarios. I mean, I look at the Mahomes situation with Kansas City – I wouldn't say he slid. I, I don't know where I don't know that we knew where he was going to go. But once it got to a point where the Chiefs were like, "All right, we can make a run at this now," then they went for it, right? So, if a guy does slide, that's there, there's there's usually a point in your mind where you say to yourself, "Okay, now we can make a run at this." So I don't know what that point is for Malik Willis, but maybe there is for them for the Colts you know, that, that becomes an option. So we'll see. It'll be interesting if that happens. Um, and, and the one thing I'll add is, is they are in the quarterback market and without a oh, long-term yeah. solution, Matt Ryan is, is, is here for two years. We know that it's a hard two years, but they're looking at every single young guy coming out. I guarantee you that because they have to, because they need to get this solved before the time it's, you know, 2024 or whatever, like one of these years they're going to have to get it right. But thanks for the question, Derek. All right, what do we got? Uh, let's go to Charles. Charles? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, hey, so, what's going on? What's going on? Hey, I, I appreciate you guys having me on. I've been, you know, I'm a big fan of both of you. Um, so I, I've generally been, you know, I've been a fan of, of, of Ballard's, um, you know, usually careful and cautious approach to free agency. Um, but I have to wonder, and I'm curious what your thoughts are, but we heard a lot about, you know, players didn't want to come to the Colts if they didn't have a quarterback. And do you think that's kind of a, a you know pretty reasonable criticism that maybe Chris Chris and Frank didn't didn't really think about when they, you know, when when they're taking such a, you know, a cautious approach not wanting to overpay anybody, you know, kind of approach to free agency? Um, um I, I, I would say I would this. Say this. Um, um, Charles, oh, you, okay, you muted yourself. Good. Um, so I, I think that with that situation, I, I just think that's a natural thing, right? If particularly at the spots that they were kind of looking at wide receiver tight end. I mean, my first question after money is going to be, all right, well now who's throwing me the football. I mean, you know, you look at like Allen Robinson, he went to Chicago a few years ago and I, I don't know that that ever played out the way he hoped it would, you know, and he made a lot of money and that's great, but I don't know that he had a great experience necessarily. I don't know that he, uh, necessarily uh, progressed as a player like he would want, would have wanted to. So it's a very important question if you're a free agent, you know, particularly someone on the offensive side. And, you know, you also want to win and be on a team 
that's relevant. And the quarterback is the biggest piece in that. So I, I just think it's normal. I think it's to be expected. Uh, um, you know, on the other hand, you know, you ask, you know, should they have thought that through? I, I think had they rushed this situation, and I still, I still uh, contend that they got a little bit lucky, but, you know, getting Matt Ryan, but had they rushed, they might have gone and fallen into a situation that was less optimal, you know, and, and I think overall that would have been a, a negative, a net negative. So I think it all worked out, but I, I do think, yeah, it was, I think it was a factor for sure. Uh, if the money's not good and the quarterback situation isn't good, I'm going to go somewhere else probably as a free agent. So if the money's not as good, but I like the quarterback situation, maybe that can help me. I'm going to give it some thought, right? So I, I do think it hurt, but I just think in the end, uh, they they got what they wanted at, at quarterback, so it, it probably was a net positive in the end. But it, it doesn't mean it wasn't a factor. Is my thought. I don't know if you have anything to say. Yeah, I think it. I think it's important to to point out that they did get the quarterback situation right, considering where they were. You know, two weeks before that, where they didn't have a quarterback. But I do think it's as simple as if you're an agent of a wide receiver and you ask Chris Ballard, well, if you want my guy to come here, who's throwing him the football? And for a while there, six, seven, eight, ten days. Ballard didn't have an answer, and, and that hurt the Colts' chances. It's as simple as that, but that's a good question. Yeah. So, all right, uh, let's move on. Move on. Thanks. We got uh, Destin. Yeah, can you guys hear me? Yes, sir. Hey, um, big fan of you guys, so thanks for letting me on. Um, so I know me and some others – are really hoping that we go offensive heavy in the draft. But just knowing Ballard and how he loves to take those day three shots on DBs and linebackers, um, like how realistic or how heavy offensive should we be able to expect this draft to be? I've got a thought on this. And, and mm-hmm. Stephen, jump in if you – I've been thinking about this a little bit. So so last year they didn't do anything at left tackle. And, then they, and they go into the draft and they don't draft one. And everyone's freaking out. And then they make their free agency move after that. And everyone's wondering right now, why haven't they done anything at wide receiver, including me? I've been pretty frank with Ballard about that. We were down at the owners' meetings a couple of weeks ago, and I asked him, like, who's going to be catching the ball besides Michael Pittman? But I do think there's a lot of depth at that position in this draft. And if they don't land the guys they want, it could be an option moving forward in free agency. Free agency isn't over yet. There's still some good players out there. But I do. That's my guess. If you read my mock draft last week, maybe I'm an idiot. But I do think there's a possibility they go wide receiver with two or three of their first couple picks. And you could throw it a tight end in there as well. But, and Steven, you made this point a couple weeks ago. He loves the second round. Like Ballard sees a lot of value in the second round. And for a team that's not drafting in the top 10, you can make a case that, you know, a number 42 pick is just as valuable as a number 32 pick in some situations. He's done a lot of damage in the second round. I think they go wide receiver early this year. One, because of the depth too, because they cannot bank on this crew as currently assembled. Yeah, I, I do think, I know this wasn't the question, but I, I do think they do some of their best work in the second, third round in that area. And I, I think that's why they try to stockpile picks in that range is because that's where the value is. That's the sweet spot, at least as the Colts see it. That's the sweet spot in the draft, not the first round, but the second, third round, roughly. So, you know, there's some misses in there too, but there's some really great picks. And you know, two of them obviously being Michael Pittman and Jonathan Taylor. So I don't think I have to tell you guys that. I mean, we can go down the list of all the, the really productive players they've gotten in that range. So um, I, I, you know, in terms of will they go offensive heavy, 
I do think that sometimes it, it's almost like I think sometimes Frank Reich maybe needs to be more of a jerk <laughs> with in the draft room and bang on the table a little bit because I think Frank has this attitude like, all right, I'll make it work. I'll make it work. He always <laughs> says that. He always you says, know? I love my guys. Well, other guys are good too. Yeah, and so I think maybe that dissuades him from maybe getting in there and saying, Damn it, give me my guy, you know, and and I think sometimes it's okay for a coach to do that. And I think that would have a lot of sway, certainly with the owner. The owner loves that's music to his ears, but the guy making the pick is is Chris Ballard. And I think he he understands the value of keeping his coach happy. But the coach is always happy, and the coach doesn't complain that much, and maybe he should. So I, I don't, I'm not quarterbacks a, in five years. He can complain a little. I'm saying, right? I, look, I'm not in the draft room, but I, I know Frank Reich well enough to know that that's his attitude. He's, he's like, you know, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. And it's like, no, man, be a jerk. So that's my very unscientific answer to your question. Uh, I think Frank Reich needs to get in there and raise some hell. So <laughs> well, that's what I do. Uh, let's go to Kevin K. All right. Hey, uh, how's it going guys? Uh, first of all, this, uh, this format's awesome. Um, I didn't know if y'all had any, um, maybe off the record on what the hell happened with George Odom. Like he seems like a guy that fits the Ballard mold. Um, he was cheap. Uh, he produced when he played, but he, but he's more valuable as a special teamer. And kind of going to the whole free agency thing, you can say the same thing about Golinski, Chris Reed, um, and hell, even um, Pascal. I mean, Pascal didn't sign for a lot of money. So is there something going on that we don't know? Um, but specifically with George Odom, that just didn't seem to make any sense. Thanks. Thanks, Kevin. Um, um, good question. Go ahead, I can, Zach. I, I have I some thoughts, but go ahead, Zach. Yeah, yeah you've, you've had some conversations. I have as well. I can speak on Odom. Specifically, um, they never made an offer. They never really chased him in free agency, which I was surprised by. You're right. I mean, I'm a fan of George just as a person and also as a player. He does kind of speak to their model in terms of he came in as a no-name guy out of central Arkansas who never thought he – he honestly told me he never thought he'd make the first roster. And he played for four years, got a contract extension last year, uh, became a first-team all-pro special teamer. I want a straight answer on that, and we haven't been able to ask them publicly – for an answer on that. But I think the theory is you can replace gunners and special teams guys a little bit easier. Odin got good money and I'm happy for him. He got nine, nine and a half million, I think from San Fran for three years. I don't think the Colts are, are willing to jump that far with that kind of money for a special teamer. The one I do not get, I do not get Chris Reed. I mean, he's, he's everything they want in terms of when you're called upon as a backup to step in, he was great. I mean, arguably as good as, Glowinski may be better in some situations. They do love Danny Pinter. They love Danny Pinter. I mean, Stephen, have you heard them talk about a guy like that's not a big name like they've talked about Danny Pinter? I mean, they want. No, they, they do. They do. So, um, you know, maybe that's a way they get Pinter on the field. He's not, he's not taking Ryan Kelly's spot anytime soon. So maybe this is that, which I think it is. But the Odom one was a little weird. And, and, and Odom's camp was a little disappointed. The Colts really didn't chase them at all. So I think my, my answer is, is broader. It, it applies to kind of all these scenarios. And I think this is something that we can agree with or disagree with, but I, but I think this is what's happening. The, the Colts, and I don't know that this is like unique to them, but I can just tell you what they do. The Colts are very big on, on slotting prices for guys. 
So they have a thought in their head long before free agency starts. Okay, what are we willing to pay for player X? And that number gets established well in advance. And I think that's good business. You should do that, right? I mean, if, if you're a hiring manager for any job in corporate America, you don't just open up the job and say, oh, so like, uh, hey, by the way, what's this going to pay? You, you know that when that job posts, right? You have that in your mind. And then you negotiate from there. So that that's how they approach this. Now, they are much more restrictive when it comes to sticking to that sort of range that they have identified for that particular player, whether it's with their players or not their player. And, and that's where I think maybe you have to be a little more flexible, but, but they're willing to let guys walk. And, and I think, you know, you talked about Chris Reed, Zach and Chris Reed's situation. Well, his number was probably going to be lower than it would be in another situation because of Danny Pinter. So the value for him is going to be lower. Now I'm not agreeing or disagreeing. I'm just telling you that's how that game works. And, and that's how it gets played. And, and I think that applies for George Odom as well. He was a restricted free agent last year. They had these conversations then. So they knew where he was at. And the Colts knew they weren't going to get there. And they just said, you know, we're going to go find an option somewhere else. So it's unfortunate. I wish they'd have brought him back. I think it does reinforce their mantra when you bring guys back. But it, it's business, too. So I get it. Um, but, but a good question. Um, thanks for go to Josh A. Hey, Zach, Stephen, do you guys hear me? Yes, sir. Awesome. Uh, thanks for taking me. Uh, my question is actually related to the secondary as well. You look at the transactions that the Colts made throughout the offseason. They dealt away Rock Yassin to the Raiders. They get Yannick Ngakwe. Uh, they also signed another guy from the Raiders, uh, Fasisen. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. He also yeah. signed. Yes, uh, and then you also go and sign the safety from Philadelphia. But it just really looks like that secondary group is really thin when it comes to depth right now. Are you concerned with how that looks right now? And given that the fact that the Colts need to address the wide receiver position, do you feel like that's not really going to get addressed in the draft? Or do you feel like uh, they still have some moves to make uh, in free agency? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, can, I can take Go ahead, ahead. jump in. I was just going to say, take the corner position first. I I I would like to see one more veteran signing there, and and then I think you kind of let it play out in training camp in terms of who's going to start, who plays where, and all that. You know, I think about, for example, T.J. Carey. I don't think he well he he was hurt quite a bit last year, Um, wasn't much of a factor. But two years ago, he had some some really key moments for them. And I think that's a good example of a guy, that type of guy. You know, that's a good example of of what I think they need. You know, a guy who can start but maybe doesn't have to start. Uh, I just think depth and I think quality depth at corner is just essential. I mean, those guys, uh, they have um, – they, they, they pull hamstrings, you know, quads. It's always something, right? And that's just – one of those positions where you get a lot of soft tissue injuries. So I just think you really have to have depth there. It doesn't have position, but, uh, and, it, and it's not. So that, yeah, just that one thing I'll, I'll move to you. I'll move to you, Steven S in just a second, but, um, give me the choice. I'm taking a pass rusher over a corner every day, twice on Sunday, but that doesn't mean the corner situation is solved. They need to add somebody. And, and as of right now, you're looking at phase on, 
and and Isaiah Rogers on the outside and Kenny Moore on the inside. And you feel good about the slot, but that's that's a risk. And I know it's not the most important part of the defense. It's not. But that makes you a little a little worried. But go ahead, Stephen, with your question. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Okay. Hey, um, big fan of both you guys and uh, your work. Um, I know a few years ago when the Raiders traded Khalil Mack to the Bears, um, I heard a lot of rumors about how when a player is signed to an extension, their uh, entire guaranteed portion of the contract has to be put in an escrow account so that there's no risk of not being able to pay them later. Is there any chance there's some issue like that with the Colts, um, and that's why they're not willing to move contracts around and, and put things into place for the future? So, okay, I'll take this. I, I'll, Yeah, Stephen, you I, hit I on this know. in a story last year. Yeah, I, I think that – I don't know. Obviously, I don't have access to their financials, and, and sure. very few people do, right? So that's, that's that goes without saying. Uh, are there people who have asked questions about this? And I think when – I had a tweet last week, and I didn't mean to rock the boat, but I kind of did. Um, I had a tweet last week where I said, you know, agents have kind of – kind of you know bitch to me about this for lack of a better word um about uh you know there's they got money problems i've heard that from from agents i don't think they know i think it's just like theory i don't think they know uh but they are sometimes they encourage those questions by the way they operate um I, they they always sell it as a philosophy and i think that's very possible that it's just philosophy um i mean we were told this from day one so it's not as if we were we were told one thing, and then they did some told us from day one, and they have operated, or Chris Ballard has operated much rather than and and, but but it's it's a fair question. I I will say the last thing I'll, I'll say in a little, uh, certainly not a, a a team that has a lot of extra um, extraneous income uh, re- or revenue, I'm saying, like a, a bigger market. I know they have revenue sharing in the NFL, and it's it's great. <laughs> I wish uh, – I'm sure every industry wished things worked that way. <laughs> but but there is a big difference between small and big markets between uh, revenue streams. It doesn't mean those teams can't compete. And, I mean, Jacksonville signs the biggest contracts every year, right? So, I mean, they have money. Everybody has money. But, but there is – there is some truth to that. They're not all revenue streams are the same or created equal between large and small markets. So fair question. Speaking of Jacksonville, I was actually talking to a couple of coaches about the uh, Christian Kirk deal and their, let's just say their eyes were out of their heads when they learned how much he was getting. <laughs> um, yeah. But you know, they don't push money forward. Like the Colts don't push off payments for the most part. They just don't push payments on. And an example of that is, what the Falcons did with Matt Ryan the last couple of years, right? Huge payments were due. They just pushed it on, pushed it on. And, and you don't know what's going to happen. And now they have a $40 million dead cap hit next year. They're out of it after that. But, you know, the same thing happened to the Eagles with Carson Wentz moving on. So I think the Colts deserve a little bit of credit for always being in a, in a good financial situation to where they can do big things. And they don't have the quarterback situation solved long term. So they were able to easily add Matt Ryan, which a lot of teams wouldn't have been able to do. Now, those teams are probably paying their quarterback a huge number. But the fact that they've been able to add Phillip Rivers for $25 million a year on top of paying Jacoby Brissett 
a good amount of money too. Um, look, they don't, they're not absolved of blame for this quarterback conundrum they're in, but I do think the fact that they're able to have enough financial flexibility to add these guys is a credit to the way they've spent their money pretty wisely. And I would add this, I can't tell you how many times Jim Irsay has told Steven, has told me, has told other people, like, guys, money ain't a problem. I will spend money if he would let me. Like, I will spend money to no end to make this team better. He just he just gives it to Ballard, and, and Ballard makes the decisions. And I think Irsay, for the most part, supports him in that. Irsay knows how it can go poorly, and he brought that up a couple of days ago with us in Florida where he said, look, we went all in on, in 2015, and it blew up in our face. Yeah, okay, and, and I would just always sell some guitars. <laughs> yeah, right. True. I, I'll, I'll just add one last thing. I I do think that the money is there. They have they have given a lot of it to their own players too. That's the other thing. I mean, let's not forget the you know the the cash that they've laid out for guys like Darius Leonard and uh, Brian Kelly and guys like that. I mean, they, they've they've given those guys a lot of actual cash it's not just you know sort of phony money there's been like big time cash payments to those guys so i I do think that we have to remember that i actually think it's a very good thing if your biggest contracts are given to guys that you drafted that means you're good at what you do in the draft now obviously there are lots of areas where we can criticize but i think philosophically that is the model that's still the model i know that there have been some isolated examples of other ways of doing things, but ultimately that is the model. So let's, let's always remember that. And whether they get this quarterback thing solved, I don't know, but, but that's what you want. I think ideally that doesn't mean you can't deviate from it, but that's the model. Do you guys Uh, think there's a chance that uh, he's trying to get comp picks? Is that a big reason for the delay? Oh, he loved comp picks. Comp picks are definitely are definitely a thought for sure. Um, But I I really do think it's mostly philosophical. I will tell you, I've had this conversation about like dead money and and things of that nature with Chris Ballard. I've had this conversation. I mean, he thinks those people are crazy. (laughs) He thinks those teams are crazy. (laughs) I'm not saying I agree. I mean, I understand there's different ways to get the job done. Um, He is very much uh, very much uh, in adherence to his way of doing it. And, you know, we'll say, look, ultimately he'll be proven right or wrong. Right. And, and that will decide how this, how history gets written here. So we'll see. But I mean, I think we knew what Chris Ballard was going to do. And I think he has, he's stuck. And that's, I can at least say that for him. So uh, I, I think this is more philosophical than financial, but it's a fair question. So I'd say, thank you, Stephen. Um, we're going to Andrew M. What's going on? Hey guys, uh, Zach, Stephen, thanks for doing this. Um, Stephen, last uh, I think like last week or so, you put out a tweet about speaking uh, about Hines and uh, an increased role we could see for him. I'm just curious if you could like just touch on a little bit more. Um, I, I can imagine that he wouldn't be running as much with Taylor. I mean, I want to take the ball away from him, but so what, what kind of role does that like, look like for you? Well, I, I think I will say this. I had a long conversation with Frank Reich. Uh, at the owners' meetings, and a big part of that conversation—I don't even know how we got on this topic—but a, a big part of that conversation was about Naheem Hines, and they have a number in mind for touches for Naheem Hines this year. I won't repeat the number because it was told to me in confidence, but but it's a pretty big number to the point where I was like, "You're crazy." 
<laughs> and he said, and then he kind of laid out how they could do it. And I was like, huh, okay. And, and actually his touches were way down last year. I don't think that's breaking news. Uh, they, they realized that I think they see that they have a team that, that needs more playmakers. And here you have a very, uh, a well-established playmaker who you haven't gotten enough touches. Well, I mean, that just doesn't make sense, right? I do think a lot of that was a product of quarterback play. It's, it's not necessarily a criticism of the player. It's just the way he played. I just think adversely affected Naheem Hines. And I think he missed some opportunities there as well. So I think Naheem Hines is going to be one of the biggest benefactors of this Matt Ryan trade. And, and it's going to be good for the Colts because when the ball's in his hands, good, that is a verified fact. I think the Colts know it and defenses know it too. So I think this is going to be great. Uh, I know that Zach, you've had, you, you talked to Naheem quite a bit. Do uh, you have any thoughts on that? I think it's called the pony package. And I love this. And Stephen, we've talked about this in the press box during games that the pony package is essentially where they have Naheem and Taylor mm-hmm. in the backfield at the same time and and that's dangerous and and frank will tell you this a million times it's all it's all about matchups and if you get guys that can just beat guys in one-on-one you know and then you combine that with a scheme that gets guys open a lot it's just dangerous and and they just they i heard naheem's name mentioned almost as much as anybody on offense at the owners meetings besides matt ryan i mean they are going to make a very very committed effort next season to get him the ball and then the last thing i'll add is they didn't come out and say this in Florida, but I kind of got the sense that, and you hinted on this, is we're going to have a quarterback this year. We, as in Frank Reich and Chris Ballard, are saying this. The Colts are going to have a quarterback that's going to see the field better without, you know, without, for lack of a better phrase, like get the ball to Naheem when he's open, get the ball to Taylor when he's open, and not just kind of lock in on Michael Pittman. And Pittman's great. You can throw it up in double coverage and he'll make the play. But you need variance, and you need to hit the open guys. You need to take the checkdowns and, you know, to use the Ballard phrase, make the layups. And I think Naheem bared the brunt of that this year in terms of not getting the layups. And so yeah. I think you're going to see a lot more of him this year. And that guy has a special talent. He can take over games very, very quickly. And, and they need to get him the ball more, and I think they're going to. Yep, I totally agree. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit DirecTV.com. 
Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's to uh, John L. Hey, guys. Um, <clears throat> so my question is more about the bigger picture. Um, and there may be a pretty easy answer for this. But what happens if this year Ballard's plans in the free agent market and his plans for the offensive line and his plans for the skill positions do backfire? And it's a similar situation where you get into December and a lot of depth has been lost to injuries and um, guys aren't getting yards after cats. You really wish that he had made a bigger dip in free agency. And so once again, that approach um, leaves us, you know, wanting something else and wanting a change uh, in the philosophy. What, what happens at that point? Because these guys are locked in Ballard Reich are locked in for the next couple of years. We may not see a philosophy change, but, can we think of of uh, what may happen in that situation? Good I can, question. Uh, I, yeah, jump in. That's, I, that's I was just, totally plausible. Yeah, I, I was just. I'll just say this. I it is plausible. I mean, look, they, they the AFC is absolutely bonkers. Okay, so none of us know how this year is going to go. I think they have a a puncher's chance of winning the division, like a decent chance. I don't think Tennessee is, you know. I don't think Tennessee leaves the Colts scared. Um, but if you don't win it, I mean, the AFC is going to be tough, right? I mean, are you going to be a playoff team? I, I don't know. I can't, I can't sit here and, and tell people to expect that right now. So, so therefore, I, I think the question is very valid. Um, that's when I think they have a decision to make. And, and this is why I've said that this offseason is huge. And I, I wrote a column about this recently. This is the biggest offseason for Chris Ballard ever. And he hasn't deviated, which is interesting. Uh, and so I, I think he's either going to be proven right or he's going to be at a crossroads where or Jim Mercer is going to be at a crossroads where he has to decide, are you going to continue this plan of attack? Are you still on board with it? And so one of I think a couple of things if the scenario you laid out occurs, I think at that point, Chris Ballard is on the hot seat. I think they're both on the hot seat, Frank Reich and Chris Ballard. If this season kind of devolves and just doesn't go well, they have to improve. And I think it has to be not just like marginal improvement. I think they got to be a lot better this year. I mean, just, you know, they got to be in the playoffs. They got to be in the playoffs and they got to be, I think a viable team to win in the playoffs. That for me is progress. And so, if that doesn't happen, then I think you have to call it a hot seat situation. And again, I don't think anyone's getting fired a year from now unless it's just a complete, you know, catastrophe. But assuming they're, you know, they're a, you know, a formidable team of some fashion, I don't think anybody gets fired. But I think if it doesn't go well, if there's not progress, then I think you have to, if you're Jim Mercer, you got to demand changes. And those changes can be various changes, but I think maybe the changes in philosophy. And if and if that doesn't work, then maybe you go a different direction. But I think it would be a really pivotal situation 
and one where I think everybody at that point has to look and know whether this is viable or not. Zach? Uh, I'll add two things on this, and you hinted at this a couple of weeks ago, Stephen, is this season doesn't need to just get to the playoffs. It needs to show that the plan works, right? If you're going to commit to the plan, that's fine. I'm all for letting your GM do it his way, but it needs to show results. This team is way too good, way too good to not be in the playoffs two years in a row. With Darius and Quentin entering their fifth season with the best running back in the league, with talent all over the roster, Buckner, Kenny Moore, Pittman. I mean, they have drafted pretty well, above average at, at the very least. And, and for them to not make the playoff two, two years in a row, it'd be inexcusable. I think the seat warms considerably for Chris Bowden and, and, and Frank Reich. I don't think that necessarily Jim Mercy would be ready to make a change unless it goes into catastrophe mode. But um, he knows that. He expects more. Um, and then I'll, you know, to just cap it on, on the one position we get asked about the most these days is wide receiver. I go back to a quote from Ryan Grigson, and I know that's going to stir a lot of feathers, but I think it's a good quote. You hope for the best and you plan for the worst. And the Colts right now aren't planning for the worst at wide receiver. And I don't get it. And I've asked Chris Ballard about this a hundred different times and we'll ask about it next week. I don't like what they're doing at wide receiver. And I feel like it very much could come back to bite them in November or December. It, it Maybe they get something done with T.Y. I haven't heard a lot of movement on that front. It doesn't sound like that's going to happen anytime soon. And I will give the Colts the benefit of the doubt, and maybe they do something in, in the draft, right? You can get guys that can come in and play right away in the second round, in the third round. That can happen, and, and maybe they do that. You can get explosive guys in this draft. But, you know, Paris has been hurt, and Doolin has been mostly a special teamer. And combined, Paris, Doolin, Strawn, QT. And Patman have 55 catches combined. And and maybe they take the next step. But I think that's too much hope and too much good fortune involved. And I think they need to plan for the alternative, which has been the reality the last couple of years. One one guy's going to get hurt. Maybe two guys are going to get hurt. One guy's not going to pan out. That's happened with a couple of guys in the past. Um, Deion Kane just didn't do it. Reese Fountain didn't do it. So they're gambling at wide receiver, and I don't like it. And unless they do something in the draft, I, I'm not going to like it at the start of training camp either. Hey, words of wisdom from Ryan Grigson. I uh, didn't didn't expect that. I like it. I like. Hey, it. I like. To, I like to mix it up a little bit, but that's a good quote. <laughs> it is. It is. It's fair. It's definitely fair. And, and uh, other other execs in the league will say the same thing. It's not like original to Grigson, but. Hey, hey, before we go to Jordan W., I just want to uh, say one quick thing before we move on. Um, I, I do think, you know, in putting all this in perspective, I still think uh, this is not a defensive comment about Chris Ballard and Frank Reich, but it's just a it's just a reality. I do think this was the first year they went backwards as in terms of progress. And I've said this before. If you if you follow me, uh, you've heard me say this or tweet this, but I, I do think we we have to remember that, like. 2017 was just a complete, you know, burn it down. That was just, you know, they set a deliberate fire to the whole thing, right? So 2018, playoffs, win a playoff game. They were on their way uh, with a bunch of rookies. Uh, 2019, uh, you know, certainly, you know, Andrew Luck retires. And I think that just kind of was what it was. And 2020 was certainly progress. You know, going the other way with, with Phillip Rivers. 2021 is the first year where I feel like, okay, you guys – you went the wrong direction. And I think that's why 2022, I think, will really tell us who they are. You know what I mean? Like one-year samples don't really tell you what a franchise is. 
Now, it, it doesn't mean you can't like be really pissed about it, but I'm just saying if you look at things in terms of a one-year sample, that is not how you really judge a franchise over the long term. You got to judge it over a period of years, and I think they were on the right track. They got off track. So 2022 is going to tell us something, I think. Uh, hey, thanks for your patience. Uh, let's go to Jordan W. So I have, I have two questions. First of all, I love you all's work, so I appreciate it. Um, I was wondering, you you both do really good deep dives, uh, like in your articles and stuff. Uh, is there a way to do a deep dive to uh, figure out, like, why Ballard uh, doesn't like wide receivers? Um, is it, like, <laughs> the money? Is it, like, the, the market? I'm not really understanding that. Like, or, or does he just really have faith in the guys in the room? It seems like there are some some more reasonable deals that could have been done for wide receivers. Uh, and then another question as like the world's biggest Marlon Mack fan, is there any role for him to come back as, uh, you know, a number two back, especially with, you know, the rumors that maybe Hines moves to the slot or, or something like that. Uh, if, if he moves to the slot, do they need a, a number two running back? I feel like the NFL doesn't really value Marlon Mack. Obviously, Jonathan Taylor is much better, but I think as a one-two combo, which is what I was hoping for last year, they'd be very dynamic. Um, and, I mean, he really didn't get carried. So is there anything with Mack that it's just not going to work, he wants a bigger role, or any chance with maybe moving Naheem that we get uh, an actual one-two combo with um, Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor. Well, I'll, I'll say this real quick. I I was trying to remember, and I just googled it because I, I, I was I was kind of off last week. But Marlon Mack actually he just signed with with Houston, so he's going to be in the division. You'll see him, <laughs> but just not in a Colts uniform. Uh, I I think that makes sense for a team like Houston. I mean, he could be a a, a nice part of a one two punch there. Um, and I think he'll have a chance to do that. He wouldn't really have had a chance to be that here, I don't think. And and I think Marlon deserves more, which, which you kind of pointed out, and and probably needed to go somewhere where he could do that. The Colts couldn't promise him that. And I think we all understand why, but I, I just don't really think there was – just weren't enough snaps. To just, um, and him not being a, a big special teams contributor, I, it was just really hard to justify so I think this will be better for Marlon. I really do. And and I love Marlon. Marlon is a treasure. Good kid. He's such a good Eli, kid. He's a, yeah. he's a great teammate. He's a good dude. So, okay, I think this goes back to the question about money earlier. And this is kind of a philosophical thing, in my opinion. And you you tell me if you agree, Zach. I think that he has – well, first off, let's just point out something that's been obvious lately. Have you seen – the numbers that wide receivers are getting, they're getting quarterback numbers now. Now they're this crazy. Is, this is driving Chris Ballard crazy. Okay, <laughs> I assure you, <laughs> he thinks yeah. this is the most insane thing ever. All right, now I'm of the opinion. Hey, I want everybody to get their money. Okay, but I also understand his position. <laughs> so uh, I, I just don't think for Chris Ballard, I, I think that he fundamentally has a problem with that. Not not even a problem. I just, it fundamentally doesn't mesh with his philosophy, number one. And number two, I think you would also have to include the fact that Frank Reich has, has kind of been a, a guy. He's a part of this too. Frank Reich has kind of, has kind of leaned toward the philosophy of, 
you know, we'll do it by committee at wide receiver almost intentionally because they want to spread the ball around. I think he, I'm not saying they don't want a star receiver, but if you do have a star receiver, there comes with that a certain expectation. That guy has to get fed, you know, 120 balls. And, and I think there is a little bit of a disconnect between doing that and doing what the Colts want to do. I know how you feel as a fan. You feel like, oh, I don't care how many catches the guy makes. If he's a stud, give him the ball, right? But uh, it's just a, a philosophical thing with their offense. They want to spread the ball around, and that's a big like bedrock of their of their system. I don't know if it's the right way to do it or not. I, I don't know. I'm just telling you that's what it is. So I think those two things, Chris Ballard being <laughs> being stubborn the way he is about money and then the offensive philosophy of Frank Reich spreading the ball around. I think those two things, when you put them together, I think it makes the Colts very unlikely to go out and do one of these huge wide receiver deals. Like you saw Devonte Adams get, I just, that doesn't strike me as something the Colts would do. Uh, doesn't mean they shouldn't, but I'm just telling you, I don't think that's, that's not their, that's not their way. And, and their way, it needs to be proven right. Because it hasn't so far. I'll just be yeah. honest. It hasn't. And and you mentioned Allen Robinson earlier. A couple of years ago when he was a free agent, before the Bears tagged him, I think they tagged him a couple of times, the Colts were pretty deep in negotiations with him, if I'm not mistaken. And I've reported this before. They couldn't settle on money. But just think if they had signed him for three years, and it would have been decent money, probably pretty big money, um, how much he would have helped the last couple of years when guys have gotten hurt and when Campbell's gone down. I mean, that – that would have helped a lot. It would have helped Phillip Rivers. It would have helped Carson Wentz. It would have helped Jacoby Brissett in 2019 if it would have happened then. So, you know, hindsight's 2020, but maybe just one guy, maybe just splurging on one guy really would have changed things. But they're betting on this by committee approach, and it better pay off this year because they've been very quiet on that position. And ugh, we'll see how it goes, but they're betting on a lot of, of these young guys. Look, I would add this. I think what it, it was back in what 2014 or 15? No, 2015, I believe. They re-signed T.Y. Hilton to a really big deal at the time. It was like 65 million. He was getting about 13 million in change per year. A lot of money for a receiver back then uh, at 2015 prices. And and I remember thinking, wow, that's a lot of money. That guy earned every penny of that thing, if you ask me. And, and I think it, it shows you. I mean, they rode T.Y. Hilton for a period of years there. I mean, they rode his back. And 2018, down the stretch, which is – Two ankle sprains. Yeah, the best period under Chris Ballard was that stretch late in 2018, in my opinion. They basically rode T.Y. Hilton's coattails that entire time. Uh, obviously, Andrew Luck had a little to do with that. But my point is, if you get a bona fide number one wide receiver and he makes $20 million – but he crushes it, money well spent, right? So I, I think there's there's arguments to be made on both sides, and I don't know that Chris Ballard will ever change his standpoint, but I think there's an argument to be made on both sides, and there's evidence of it even in their own franchise in recent years. Uh, so what do we got next? Is it uh, Jacob, Zach? Yep, go ahead, Jacob. Hey, guys, love your work. Um, just kind of a two-parter question here. So would you rather take the 2015 wide receiver core with uh, T.Y. and Dante Moncrief or Dorsett, 
or would you rather have today's with Reggie Wayne? And the second part of the question was, um, Reggie or great players don't always make great coaches. So why do you think Reggie will be better? Good question. All right. So I'll take the, uh, the wide receiver group, the 2015 group versus this one. That's a good uh, question. It is. I actually would say this. I, I think that I'd probably take 2015. That was PTY, right? I mean, that was. Yeah, it was. And he led the league in receiving in 2016. So he, he was damn good back then. I, I think that Dante Moncrief, he's such, such a frustrating guy for me. <laughs> that dude had seven touchdowns one year, though. I mean. That, no, that's my, that's my point. Like, it was insanely talented. Okay, insanely talented, but I just think his—I think mentally fragile. Okay, mentally fragile. I hate to say it, and it sounds mean, but I just—I think he was worried about everything else, but the actual work and the game. You know, he was worried about how he looked and how people thought of him. And well, it's like none of that matters, man. You know, when people love you, when you score touchdowns. Okay. And you know, you don't have to go on Twitter and subtweet me. Like, dude, if you got a problem, just tell me. It's like this is so stupid, dude. Like, worry about what matters, you know? Uh so I, I don't know. I just think that I, I just don't think he I think he was his worst his own worst enemy at times. Uh but but incredibly talented. And I think with you know, remember now two thousand fifteen was the year that Andrew Luck was in and out of the lineup. So I think, you know, with Andrew Luck playing healthy that year playing wire to wire. I think we might've had a much different outcome that year. Um, you know, Philip Dorsett's both best moments, I think came with, with Andrew Luck, you know, the few that he had. So <laughs> who knows? I mean, it might've got a lot out of that, particularly with Frank Wright now. Okay. Keep it, keep that in mind. If you, if you're talking about that group with this team, this offensive line, you know, this coaching staff, I like their chances of actually being pretty productive. Um, you know, whether they could, get it together off the field. I don't know, but you know, between Moncrief and, you know, Dorsett, just, you know, having to deal with all the criticism, I don't know, but, but it would be interesting. Nice hypothetical. And do you have any thoughts, Zach, on the Reggie Wayne question on why yeah. he'll be a good coach? Cause I have actually thought about this. What do you think? I thought about it a lot too. And, and you know, Reggie, well, um, it's one of the underlying storylines from this season. We haven't really got into. It's a huge yeah. position of concern. And you've got a first-time coach, a first-time coach coming in. Now, Reggie's credentials are what they are. And, and, and a couple of quotes stand out to me from Reggie. It's, you know, I asked him what, you know, years ago when he was going in the ring of honor, like, what, what was your secret? And I don't want to just slight him. Great hands. But Reggie wasn't the fastest guy. And he wasn't the most athletic guy. And he didn't have the speed or the hands of Marvin Harrison. And he said, man, I just never got bored with it. Like, I got up at six every day and did the same workout. He, he, he never – got bored with the position and all the work that you had to do behind the scenes. And my first couple of years in the beat every day after training camp, Reggie Wayne would stand there and do the jugs in the scene for 30 minutes. And yeah. some of his players, his teammates would walk by in awe. And, and I always thought Reggie got that part of the game. You don't play for 11 years with Peyton Manning and not understand that part of the game. I think that's going to be really good for these young guys. Really, really good for Michael Pittman and for Paris and for all these young guys that are in that room. There's, there's talent in there. Michael Strawn, but that's going to be fascinating. And, and it, you hear a lot of players talk about the hours that coaching demands. It's more than it demands when you're a player. And Reggie's going to have to be there from, like he said a couple of weeks ago, it's going to be dark when he gets there. It's going to be dark when he leaves. How's that going to handle 
on him. Um, he put in so many hours, so many years as a player. Um, but I do think it matters a lot that when he walks into the room, he's, he's Reggie Wayne. His name's up in the Ring of Honor. He's the all-time leader in games played for this franchise, more than Manning, more than Johnny Yu. Um, when he speaks, it's going to carry a lot of credence. And I, I'm fascinated to see how he handles his first couple seasons with this team because Frank Reich's been chasing him for four years for that job. I think that was a point I was just about to make the last part about Frank Reich. I think that is important because why has Frank Reich been so adamant about adding Reggie Wayne to the point where Reggie was like, okay, at some point he's going to give up and he's going to stop asking me. So I have to finally give in. And that's kind of how this happened really. Uh, He just kind of got tired of telling Frank, no. (laughs) And so I, I think what that says to me is a couple of things. Uh, Frank obviously has is, is very, very convinced about this. But I think that matters, and I'll tell you why, because I think Frank Reich has a good eye for coaches. You know, I, I think that I'll give you the, the Marcus Brady example I think is important. Marcus Brady went from, what, like a, an offensive coordinator in Canada just a few short years ago to now offensive coordinator of the Indianapolis Colts. And I know Frank Reich calls the plays, and he's an offensive coach, and we tend to discount offensive coordinators in those situations. But I'll tell you something. Don't think Marcus Brady doesn't have his his fingerprints all over what they do offensively. He does. And so what I'm saying is Frank Reich, with the help of others, saw that in Marcus Brady years ago. You know, So I give him some benefit of the doubt if he's vouching for Reggie Wayne. And he really is vouching for him. I mean, he's staking a lot on this. That is a huge position. It's going to be young. And they got to have yeah. production. And he went and he got Reggie Wayne to coach it, which is really audacious. So I'm going to give him some benefit of the doubt until he proves it, proves me wrong. Um, and we'll see what happens. But I, it's a great question. I'm glad you asked it because it's it's something that I think is some, we have to follow uh, throughout this season. We got uh, we got Destin. Um, we're going to wrap it up soon. We'll wind down here, but we'll take a few more. Uh, Destin, what you got? Yes, sir. Thanks for putting me back up. Um, might be annoying that I'm asking a second question, but I was just curious to hear your thoughts. The Colts have found multiple starters in late into free agency before. Um, Fisher, um, Houston, for example. Um, and there are multiple starting spots still available. They're going to get decided in camp. So if you guys had to like bet right now which spot is most likely to be filled by a person that's not on the roster currently, that's a free agent out there, so not a rookie, not on the roster currently, which one would you say? Is this is this Destin Adams? This is Destin Adams. What's up, Destin? Just wanted to make sure it was you. How's it going, man? I'm, go- I'm doing well. Um, I'm about to post my my draft guide over at the blue stable so working on that and listening to you guys talk at the same time nice Good uh stuff. you got a, you got a thought Je- uh zach i have my one, gut tells like- my gut tells me cornerback just because the value they hold on that position which isn't as high as some others uh what, what do you think yeah i think that's one um just because the cornerback the spot right now i think you're you're projecting at that spot. You're 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 going with unproven starters. If we you know if the season started today, right? So so I think that's an easy one. I, I think the other one, this is less likely, but I, I haven't written it off. Is left tackle, and us and I don't know who it would be because I don't think there's really a lot of candidates out there. But let's just say, let's just say, the draft produces 
some some really strong candidates there and 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 some jobs kind of get taken through the draft it happens every year you get oh that's a good point ex- you get an expensive veteran that gets cut after the draft it happens every year right and and so i haven't thought this scenario through in terms of like who it would be and where you know what the scenarios are we could do that with a little bit of time uh but but that's an issue. That, that's a that's a position to watch. I, I think they're okay with with Matt Pryor being the starter. They legitimately like him. That's not you know talk. They they legitimately like him. I think he I think he played very well in the limited action he saw there last year. I thought he was better, at least more consistent. Put it that way, than Eric Fisher when he played. Uh, I'm not saying better, but definitely more consistent. And I think you can help him, and you can do some other things. So. So we'll see. Um, that is, though, still a position I'm watching because I don't think they have – they haven't rubber-stamped Pryor as the starter. They think he's the starter as of now just because who else would be? <laughs> but but I do think yeah. that job is still fluid, so we'll see what happens there. That's um, a good point. They will gather yeah. after the draft, and they will look at the roster, and they'll say, all right, what do we need to fill, really? Like, what have we not addressed this weekend? And I think they like Pryor's contract <laughs> because they're going to pick yeah. Clinton. And they're already paying Ryan Kelly 10 plus a year and they're paying Braden big money. And, you know, they, they don't want to overspend at that one position group. And I do think the one thing we have heard through the grapevine many times this offseason is they do believe the quarterback will make the offensive line life a little bit easier. I think it's fair to say we all watched the Carson Wentz roller coaster last season and Carson did some good <laughs> things. He really did scrambling out of bad situations and making plays and he deserves credit for that. But dude held onto the ball a lot and, and made life difficult for his tackles. And so maybe Matt Ryan's quick release helps Matt Pryor a little bit. I think quarterbacks can make tackles good as much as tackles can make quarterbacks good. But um, I think they like Matt Pryor's contract, maybe a little bit more than they like Matt Pryor, the player, but that's just my guess. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. I, I think, I think you make a great point too, just to reinforce that. Uh, I am in no way, shape or form saying that Eric Fisher played great last season. But I do think that Carson Wentz certainly did not help him <laughs> say that. Um, all right. So got a little time left here. Let's uh, let's go to Marcus L. You got Marcus. Oh, hey, guys. Uh, thank you for taking the question here on the end here. Um, so yep. I guess I just want to ask re- regarding the draft. I saw that both of you guys have put up some uh, mock draft sack had us taking two wide receivers in a row here second third round and uh with the combined athletic um mock draft i think you Stefan, had steven had taken kenny picked i believe um, oh that's right yeah yeah I remember. yeah, yeah. The, so the mock, i i mock beat driver uh, the the beat writer mock draft excuse me yes exactly exactly so i kind of want to ask you um is there any one player that you guys have kind of fallen in love with that you hope the Colts kind of take within the first couple of rounds or one you believe that the Colts have like really been focusing on with like private interviews or such? Good question. Uh, yeah, I, so here's the, here's the, here's the dirty little secret. <laughs> okay. I have spent less time this year on the draft than ever before, like ever, because it's just been such a, it's been such a ridiculous off season. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know that I, I'm ever an expert on the draft, but I honestly, I have spent less time covering. I haven't even like dug into it 
nearly as much as I I would have uh, any other year. So so I hesitate to give a great answer on this because I don't think I have like a draft crush necessarily. I'm I'm just being honest, right? I just I just don't. But I and, and I'm always honest about this. And if you have one, Zach, by all means, chip chime in here. Uh, but I would say I'm I'm always honest about my approach to the draft. My approach to the draft is that there are a lot of people who do great work on the draft and are great resources on the draft. I am not. What I can tell you is I understand the Colts and their tendencies and what they like, what they don't like. And that gives me some insight into, you know, what they may or may not be interested in and, and how they see things. So that I, I think there's value in that. And so you put that information with along with the the very intelligent people who cover the draft very well, including our own Dane Brugler, who I use his his draft guide is like my Bible, basically. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, it's really amazing. <laughs> it really is. So uh, I, I do think it'll be I think that the, the sort of uh, wild card for me is and you, you kind of made mention of this and that beat writer mock draft that we did, which went in a very strange fashion, I thought. But um, I picked Kenny Pickett there because, and it was with the Colts' second pick or second round pick. I didn't trade up. I, I thought it was ridiculous that he was available. I, I couldn't see a scenario where that would happen. I would be stunned. But I think if that if something like that happened, I do think I think that's one of the fascinating things this about this draft is after after trading for Matt Ryan, how big of a priority is quarterback? I actually think it still should be a priority because. They have let this fester, and it has cost them so much not getting this right that I think if an opportunity arises, damn it, take it. <laughs> you know, I really believe that. Um, we'll see. Again, I don't necessarily anticipate something like that happening, but if that scenario did happen, I would love to see it. I'd love to see them take that that chance. If there's if there's a quarterback that they are convinced on, and and they believe in, why can't you take him? Why? You know, I, I don't think there's. Oh any, yeah, I don't yeah. think there's any rationale. That's for why they're not digging. Doing that's that. why they're digging on all these guys. Yeah, I'll. I'll so I don't know that. if you have I mean, thoughts. We just stopped writing about Carson Wentz like three days ago. It feels like. I mean, that was it was an exhaustive. One of the craziest, of the craziest off seasons I've ever. Played, um, you know, between the Jacksonville game and then like <laughs> all the fallout and then in the quarterback movements. Um, you know, it's harder to to project a second round pick. It's just much harder. To do that, um, if yeah. they don't go quarterback, which let's say Pickett's not there, you know, I can't tell you who they're going to pick, but I can tell you what they're going to look for. And what are the what are the things we've noticed over the years? I mean, you saw the with the nest pick episode a couple of weeks ago. Ballard said, I need traits like we want traits. So he yeah. wants guys with that unteachable skill set. He believes in his coaches. He believes in Frank. If we're talking offense, the scheme, he believes in those guys coaching those guys up. You know, one guy I think that might fit is Christian Watson. He's a wide receiver, North Dakota State. You know, the small school label, he kind of put to bed. And another thing Ballard really, really values is the Senior Bowl. If you play well at the Senior Bowl, there's like a 50% chance you're going to get drafted by the Colts. He loves the Senior <laughs> yeah. Bowl. Christian Watson proved he could play with some of the best in the country that week. That's why I picked him at 42 in my mock draft. You know, he ran 4-3, which is really good for a guy who's 6'4", 208. Um, I don't think they'll be scared from the North Dakota State thing, Carson Wentz, blah, blah, blah. But they look for traits, and if you play well against the best in the country, like at the Senior Bowl at some of the other bowl games, they really value that. And I'm all for drafting a wide receiver early, so that's what I did. Uh, I want to reinforce a couple things Zach said. Obviously, the Senior Bowl 
I think if you if you are an avid fan, you probably know this. If you follow the Colts draft, this is not news to you. But I mean, the, the best example is Darius Leonard. Okay, I think that is when that decision got yeah, made. Yeah, that's when Ballard decided. So, so that's a great example. Um, now, in terms of the traits, great point. And and just if you if you're really interested in the draft, this is what you got to think about. Okay, look at wide receiver with the Colts. Look at who they have drafted at wide receiver. So Michael Pittman, what are, what are his traits? His traits are incredible size, right? So in physicality, those are traits, but but more so the size. Very very clearly definitive, uh, clearly defined what his traits are, right? Paris Campbell, the trait is very clear there too. Speed is no question. Like he ran four low four threes, no doubt about it. His trait is speed. Period. Jonathan Taylor, speed. No question, right? I mean, so they don't draft sort of these sort of undefined players like, okay, well, what's he really about? No, it's always very, very clear. All right, this guy's game is speed. This guy's game is size. Et cetera, I mean, et look at Michael Strawn in a different angle, yeah. right? Right. They're always Strong's very like clearly forward. defined. So, so I do – yeah, I mean, I think you can look at all the receivers they've drafted, even the late ones. I mean, look at – Desmond Patman. I mean, he's this guy's six five, six four, six five. So he's six uh, eight with the hair. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's it's always very very clear, and I, I, particularly at wide receiver. So I don't think that we have to. I mean, it's always a guessing game, but I think you can you can increase your odds of being more accurate when you guess when you factor in how they. Uh, attack that position in the draft. And I think all positions really uh, in the draft. I mean, I think that's true at even offensive line. I mean, Braden Smith, for example, I mean, he is not a normal sized human being, right? I mean, he's a big guy. Uh, I think, you know, Danny Pinter is, is a long athletic guy. I mean, they, they definitely have a type at every position and it is not hard to figure out whatsoever. If you're paying attention, uh, so let's take so let's take let's take one more. How about that? It's good with me. Yeah. Hey guys, um, appreciate your work. Have you seen over the years, recent years, um, the slow start the Colts get out of the gate? You know where they're zero and three. I tend to think it's it has to be something that's going on in preseason OTA philosophy, maybe easing up on returning guys and not pushing real hard. What have you seen? Why is it that you guys think? They, the team just doesn't seem to get their focus and attention right until about three game three, game four. Hmm. That's a good question. A good they, question. They, they have mixed they that up quite a bit in terms of like, you know, under Chuck Pagano, they would give guys, veteran guys, a lot of days off. And, you know, Ballard has made it a point to be tougher on camp. And they've, I think they've had a little bit more strenuous training camps the last couple of years. You've had some guys go down. It's probably a combination of a tough opening slate the last couple of years. But it, I think it really backfires for them, not just in the beginning of the season, but the end of the season as well. Um, when when they get on their run, they always tend to do. Yeah, sorry for the echo. I'm hearing that, too. Um but I'll, I'll, I'll cut this real short. Um, when oh, you're good when they get on their run, I think it really saps them by the end of the season, all the energy and effort it took to get back to 500 and to get back in the playoff race. Yeah, I think that's a great point. We, we've seen that happen, I think, in, in multiple seasons, right? Um, 
the 2018, as fun of a season as that was, I mean, coming back from one and five took everything they had. And by the time they got to Kansas City, that team had nothing left. <laughs> I mean, they were overmatched, granted, but yeah, they were never they were never winning that game. I mean, they just they yeah, didn't maybe have it. Maybe catches that third down. Maybe that first, and maybe that game changes. <laughs> it's true. That's true. And so I think the same thing kind of played out this year and they got on, they did. It's, it's a very important point. And I had never, I'd never made that link, but it's a great point. I think this year it was, it was very similar to 2018, that slow start. And then you come back from it. You're the hottest team in, in football. Uh, then you get COVID, you get some injuries and boom, you're done. You're dead. <laughs> and so, yeah, there's definitely a relationship there. You know, I would say as to why, John, I think that – I think they don't know. I think they've tried everything, right? They've tried <laughs> easing up. They've tried going harder. They've tried not playing season. They've tried everything. Now, the, the one thing that Frank Reich hasn't done is play his stars in the preseason. He's, he's not done that, um, and I don't think he's going to change. That's becoming more and more the norm among teams. He's pretty much on board with it. So maybe that doesn't change, but they've pretty much tried everything else. And Jim Mercer is about to lose his mind if they keep losing these oh. openers. He's going to lose his mind. <laughs> I don't. Think I don't care he, who they I play in cares, this year. They got to win that game. He cares more about that than his Beatles collection. Okay, he wants to win the season opener more more than anything. What uh, if the opener this year time. is against Washington? That would just be. It would be too delicious. <laughs> it would be. It would be. Um, the NFL may have a sense of humor. We'll see. Um, so I don't know. I, I wish I had a great answer for you. I don't have an answer because they don't have an answer. But it's it's a good question, and your instincts are right. They they have to deal with it. I mean, it it has cost them a lot. There's no question. It's cost them a lot, just in terms of overcoming it, and it puts you in such a tough spot in terms of tiebreakers and all of those kinds of things too. Remember, you know, when it comes to making the postseason. It cuts down your margin of error, and you need that margin of error late in the season when injuries start hitting. So I hope they figure it out because it's, I'm tired of talking about it, and I know Jamerse is too. So <laughs> anyway, you guys are awesome. Uh, we've been at this for an hour now, so we'll, uh, we'll cut it here. But um, I, I tell you, this is the first time we've done it. This was like our own little personal radio show. It was kind of cool. Um, so, yeah, Zach and I were like, how's this going to work? I was like, I don't know. Um, I guess we'll see. And it worked. So thanks for that. Words. There's that. Yeah, sorry, you're cutting out a little bit. Uh, this uh, was awesome. I think we should do another one after the draft. Just kind of hear what everyone thinks and uh, reflect on the new additions to the team. But this was awesome, guys. And I think we'll have a recording of this posted on the site pretty soon. So thanks for all the great questions. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks for having. Thanks for having us. And. Uh, do it again. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.